Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm super excited to welcome back to my show, my guest. This is someone who actually was my very first guest ever on Allison Rosen is your new best friend in podcast form, but we'll get into all that. But first, I must catch up with producer Tony Thaxton, aka the bad boy of podcasting, which last week I let everyone know was a, ga- a name he gave himself. Hello, no, Tony. Hi. I don't know why you continue these lies. <laughs> oh, I'm, so- I'm sorry. Right through them. Where did where did you get the nickname? Oh, it's uh, it goes back years. I can't even remember <laughs> at this point. So many people have said it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I did not know that fun fact about uh, the guest today was your first guest. Ever. That's right. Very first guest. I recorded it in uh in my house that I was living in at the time in Hollywood before I started recording in a studio and now I'm back in a different house. It's really um, part of the lore. Very exciting. It's fast, I, yeah, uh, it's the fascinating details. I will occasionally, uh, I occasionally fill in for his producer sometimes and I don't, I don't know if uh, he knew that I worked for you. I'm not sure if we've ever talked about that. Well, we'll find out, <laughs> but... Tony, feel free to jump in at any point once we, you know, bring in the guest, which I don't know why we're keeping. It's not like someone accidentally clicked on this and they're like, oh, I wonder who the guest is. I don't know why we're burying this, but it's just (laughs) what we do. Uh, So anyway, Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Just, uh, you know, nothing, nothing exciting, really. I had a nice kick in the nuts today of uh, I had an extension on my taxes and then I finally got those done and uh, oh, a lot more money than I think expected to. Mm. So that's that's fun. So that, that uh, gave me like a real sick to my stomach feeling earlier today. But I'm sorry, trying to bounce out of that. The sick to your stomach feeling that emanates from a kick in the nuts. Yes. As someone without nuts, I was going to say sans <laughs> nuts, but I decided why well, get fancy. I don't actually know what it feels like, but my understanding is it is a pain that emanates up into the abdomen. Yeah, I don't recommend it. Uh, but yeah, it starts off and it's like, oh, that hurt. But then, yeah, give it a couple seconds and yeah, then it starts hitting the stomach. Yeah, no fun. Hmm. Well, I'm sorry to hear about that. But it yeah. does figure that the bad boy of podcasting would owe a little extra. That's right. That's right. So, Tony, this is now the third week in a row that I have uh, discussed TikTok. And I just want to say I've got big TikTok, TikTok, got big TikTok news, big TikTok news. Okay. I was, it's not big. It's barely news. I was heavily, I was in my honeymoon period with TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. But I would say it's cooled off. Yeah. Like you, a relationship. You... I was having, at the beginning, I was having sex with TikTok every time I saw it. It was the first thing I thought about in the morning. It was the last thing I thought about at night. It was also probably the first thing I saw in the morning, the last thing I saw at night. And now I'd say we've settled into just a comfort where like, I know it's there. I'm not tired of it, but I also it's I can keep my hands off of it. Um yeah. and if I'm being fully honest, which I am, I don't really like what the algorithm is showing me about me because <laughs> it's turned into my Instagram ex- my Instagram explore page is just dentistry, plastic surgery and animals. <laughs> Somehow, and I think it was Lauren Lapkus posted about this account, Celebrity Dentistry, and it's like smile makeovers of famous people. And then somehow I was looking at that. And then I started looking at other accounts of like 
veneers and smile makeovers and things like that. And by the way, I always like their before teeth better, like always. Uh, and then also like makeup and plastic surgery and things like that. And things that you wouldn't think I, I guess I'm curious about. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's not like a passion of mine that I'm aware of. But then now somehow my TikTok is just, it's just all like every single person in every single TikTok is just like a doctor or a nurse. It sounds like this is what you're into. Two I, different platforms are feeding you this. <laughs> I think that's your thing. I need a hard reset. <laughs> I know. And then also, I, I flew too close to the sun because I was explaining to Daniel. I'm like, Daniel, I have yet to see one of those annoying. Like, I thought TikTok was just annoying dances, but I haven't even seen one. And then I started seeing them. Now it is serving me annoying people doing annoying dances and like that hand jive thing that I can't sit find really annoying. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if this is proof that our phones are listening to us or proof that they're not. Because on the one hand, it seems like it heard me. And now it's like, oh, I'm going to give her that. But on the other hand, if it was listening to me and was good at it, it would know it wouldn't have started giving me this. These are all things to think about. <laughs> Some I, other yeah, time. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know what? I say, I say enough of this. Yeah, that sounds Let's good. Let's bring it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You agreed. <laughs> it was way too easy. This is what I'm looking for. I say enough of this. But this is fascinating. The people want more of this. Well, I don't want you to lie to me either. Okay, listen. Enough of this, even though it's hard for Tony to rip himself away from something that's this fascinating, but I am super excited to welcome back to the show, comic, actor, writer, podcast host. You know him from his hit podcast, You Made It Weird. You know him from the HBO show, Crashing. You know him from Pete Holmes' show, tons of specials. Oh, I just said his name. Please put your hands together for the one and only Pete Holmes. Hello, Pete Holmes. That was me clapping. Hi. Welcome I had, back. I didn't know. Thank you. I didn't know, like Tony, I also didn't know that I was the first. I must have been told on the day, but I've since forgotten that I was the first Allison Rosen is your new best friend podcast guest. That's right. Very first. I remember that day vividly. I really do. I remember what I was wearing because I was in like a, like, like a new, like I think I had newly lost weight. And I don't know if you've newly lost weight and gone clothes shopping mm -hmm. and you get a little carried away thinking <laughs> you're a cool person <laughs> because you lost some weight. So I bought like a, I think I was wearing a white hoodie. Who buys a white hoodie? Someone who doesn't spill on themselves. Yes. And Marshall Mathers and <laughs> a black jacket over the white hoodie. And I remember I was in a fantastic mood because I don't know if you've ever noticed, like, when you're in a great mood, every song sounds amazing. Yes. Like, it makes you wonder, like, is it the song or is it just your mood? Like, do moods just give us a place to reflect our own – do songs give us a place to reflect our mood? Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I remember I heard Nirvana's heart-shaped box came on my iPod or something, and it sounded like the best song I had ever heard in my life. And then I went in your place and we pinged and ponged and I had a great time. But I was in a great mood then and I'm in a great mood now and I'm happy to be back. That's all I'm saying. Uh, now, was your great mood because of the cool clothes you were wearing? No, the mood has to pre, uh, pre, 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 pre-date. Sure. <laughs> to pre-date, that works. Like George Costanza, I definitely dress based on mood. Rarely I'll dress... 
for the mood I'd like to be in in two hours. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like maybe if I wear this, this will help me get there. Yeah. This is why I don't have tattoos. I don't want to look at things and like have it pull me into a good mood. I only would want a tattoo when I'm already in a great mood. And how often is that? Not often enough to have a tattoo. But you say you're in a good mood now. I am in a great mood now. Yeah. How's your pandemic been? I it's I was just watching Chappelle's new special and he had like a really good line where he was like, I'm rich and famous and I have no idea what your pandemic was like. Like he says that to the audience. Mm -hmm. and I thought that was a nice way of addressing it because I know when I talk about this, there's there's a real chance of being annoying because if you have your basic needs met for the most part, you had a very different pandemic than 99% of the country. So I want to concede that up top and let people know, bless you, let people know that you know, it was really, really rough knowing how much suffering was going on. And in my own personal experience, because I had a, a two-year-old baby, all I was doing was Little House on the Prairie. Like it was just, we were churning our own butter. <laughs> we were just, we were getting up very early. We were going to bed very early. Um, we basically just laid low and, and bonded as a family. And that is a real gift when you're a podcaster and you can work from home and you could do it over zoom that was such a gift to us so i was able to continue to work in that way and then the dirty little secret that so many performers and musicians that i know all had the same dirty secret which was we didn't mind taking the time off i i didn't want to take two a, a year or two off of stand-up but i did want everyone to take a year or two off <laughs> yes i know what you mean you know I, I didn't want to be the one that was like, I'm going to Vermont and I'm going to churn my own butter or whatever. I wanted the whole thing to shut down mm -hmm. because in a weird way, that was the only way that I was going to stop. Yeah. And then once I stopped, like a million other people, especially in show business, you realize that there is more to life than just going around and um, earning your self-worth from audiences and stuff. Mm -hmm. But that, that not every show has to be that way, but you can get addicted to that. The adrenaline of just winning over strangers. Right. And then when you can't do that anymore, you have to go within, you have to go into your family, you have to go into your relationships. I reconciled, I wasn't on like bad terms, but I got much closer with my parents during the pandemic. All of these like needed, loving, healing things happened because like who we thought we were wasn't a possibility. Like we couldn't show... We couldn't show off. I couldn't go off and be in a TV show or, mm -hmm. or do stand-up. So that vanished. And then when that vanishes, you have to ask yourself, well, who am I underneath that? And the answer is a much simpler person. I didn't know there was a potential for like a simpler existence, at, but I actually did enjoy it. At the be You mentioned the dirty secret. Um, and it's interesting. I've heard both. Like I, I know that Jen Kirkman, she just tweeted about this, that she stopped touring in the pandemic and she doesn't miss it. But then I do know comedians who, who at the beginning had a real hard time with it because like you're saying, they're just, you know, they're so used to that, that way of life and that boost at the beginning. Was it hard for you? Well, I also think it might not be that they're addicted to it. Like I was, I, it happened to me in a good time in my career as well. Meaning that itch to perform is usually an extension of your ambition to get somewhere in your career that you're not. So you want to like stay in the mix. Right. This is like what LA is a whole city of like staying in the mix. And when you're as privileged and fortunate as I am to have had a few projects, 
it was way more natural to be like, this is okay. I'm okay vanishing. But if you haven't yet uh, appeared in a way that's mm-hmm. satisfying to you, that can be psychologically difficult to be like, imagine if you were a younger comedian and you were just starting to break, like you right. just got Montreal and then they cancel Montreal. I bet that would have been much harder for me. But if, if I, you know, you mentioned my credits, like I going from the talk show to the crashing show and then uh, with the podcast, I'm, I'm sort of already at a point where you're like, okay, the wave, I'm not saying I'm, I'm washed up. I'm just saying like, the wave is calmer now. Mm-hmm. It's just a calmer wave. So I was ready to settle into a different style of life. Which of those projects made you feel like, okay, I, I have appeared? I mean, that's a fair question. I don't know. I think... Which one made me... I think crashing really was a, a, a literal dream come true. Because I I loved girls and when my talk show was canceled, I had this sort of like, we went, I've told the story before, forgive me, but like the Pete Holmes show got canceled and my producer and friend Oren and I, the show was going to be on for like three or four weeks. Like we had back episodes. So no one was going to know it was canceled because it was still airing, Mm -hmm. but we knew it was canceled. So we were like in this real talk show rhythm, meaning every day we got up, we wrote monologues, we wrote sketches. We were just go, go, go. It was like being in very good shape. Uh, So we were like, let's just stay in really good shape. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just hit the ground running and pitch something as quickly as we can. And we were like, well, what do we love about the Pete Holmes show? I was like, well, the sketches, the sketches were really fun. Um, is it possible to go to Comedy Central and just say, hey, would love to just do the sketches? Like a lot of people do sketches, but we sort of do like zeitgeisty sketches, like sketches about the current movies and the current TV shows. That's like our sweet spot. So we're like, maybe we'll pitch like a zeitgeist sketch show. And we set it up very quickly. Um, and I remember Kent, Kent Alterman, who's a friend of mine, uh, took the meeting very graciously and we went in. And, uh, you know, in that 20 minutes before you do the pitch where you're like talking, uh, I think it was Kent made a joke. And again, he's my friend. So he was speaking candidly. He was like, well, one thing's for sure. We don't need another fucking sketch show. <laughs> and we, and we all, we all laughed and me and Orrin were like, <laughs> and then he was like, so what do you got for us? And we just oh, acted like it was a general meeting. We were like, we just wanted to touch base and see what's up and, oh. you know, stay on your radar. So, but I think there's something, something to this, the frustration of that, or maybe the embarrassment of that really did like sort of pull the bow string back. It was the tension I needed uh, because I got in my car after the meeting and I was like, I know you can do a sketch show, but is that what you really want to do? Mm-hmm. Like how many, how many more projects are you going to get? Like if you could only do one more thing and then you'll, you'll die or you'll vanish or whatever, like what would you really want to do? And I was like, well, I have always been a, a huge admirer of Judd's movies. They really showed up. Judd Apatow showed up in my life in important times. Uh 40 year old virgin was sort of when I was like a 40 year old virgin. Um, this is 40, which features like a, a tense 
um, breakup because of a, an affair happened after my wife and I split up because of an affair. So he kept like mirroring my life. And then I really liked the show Girls. And I was like, well, that's what it would be. It would be a, it would be a dramatic comedy in the style of Girls. And I was like, well, I might as well go for Broke and pitch it to Judd. So that was like on a Tuesday. And then I think because he had done a sketch on the Pete Holmes show, he had watched the show and that meant a lot. So he took the meeting. It was on the set set of Trainwreck. And I think it was on that Friday. I know it was like three days later or something. I was in LA and I flew to uh, to New York to pitch it to him. And you could say the rest is history. Really what started was a very laborious process of multiple scripts that I would write for him, huge, embarrassing purge documents about everything humiliating I remembered about my divorce, long conversations, lots of follow-up, and then two pitches, one of them passed. So it wasn't quick. It took like six months or something. Mm -hmm. And then and then the show. The reason I tell you that whole story is because of that moment when I was like, what would you really feel like? Okay, I rang the bell. It would be an HBO show with Judd Apatow. So I, that, that did make me feel psychologically legitimate. Mm -hmm. Obviously that's something you have to give yourself. I know plenty of people who have HBO shows or equivalents that are miserable and still think that they're, you know, bird shit. You know? <laughs> so it's completely possible that I could have done that and still been unfulfilled. A lot of people are uh, leaky buckets in this business. Um, so Really, I think when I was doing the talk show, I felt pretty arrived too, because I was with Conan. I've been very lucky, Allison. It's been very, very fortunate. Do you not consider yourself a leaky bucket in that way? And by, uh, and by leaky bucket, I'm assuming you mean the thing that is like pretty, I want to say standard with performers, which is like this sort of bottomless need for validation. I wrestle with it myself. Well, Allison, you really have to choose which Pete Holmes you want to interview today. <laughs> I would like to see all of because them. There's, well, <laughs> they all take two hours. So you really, it's these opening moments of the podcast where you really, I'm not saying you have to be careful. I'm just saying it's like you're choosing which track we're going to go on. <laughs> and I really love the spiritual track, but it might not be the best episode, but I do a lot of um, spiritual work on myself, and that has made a huge, huge difference in my life. And I think maybe the most, one of the most profound, especially as a performer, is that there isn't an undying need to win it back from other people. Um, because it's Harry Potter realizing he's a boy wizard. Every fairy tale is about this. You, you know, you, you're born into some foster care. This is Cinderella in some sort of system where you feel like you have to earn your worth. Mm -hmm. But then you always find out that your parents were really wizards or your parents were really kings and queens. And not to be too religious, but that is the awakening that you realize that you belong to something greater, that you belong to life itself. You could call it God, but to exclude fewer people, you could just say life. You know, your you're, life isn't about you. You are about life. Mm -hmm. And you are life. And when you realize that you have magician parents or royalty parents and that you have royal blood, that's the awakening of every fairy tale. You get a lot. And when you really drill that into you through experience, through meditation, through, through contemplation, through study, through the people that you have in your life, through having it modeled by other people that you can see, you do start to get the message that you're like, this is stupid. It's stupid 
to go on Instagram and see if people like your long hair. <laughs> I, I, I've, I, that's one of the biggest changes I've made is I'm off social media and it's, it's, it has a huge positive impact on not living like that. That's the performance principle is like, is the latest thing I've done cool? Is it popular? Do people think I'm sexy and funny and interesting? It's like, or you can just opt out and go like, you know what? I do what's written on my heart to do. You're invited to enjoy it. If you don't, that's fine. There's lots of things I don't like, but it's a fool's game to keep going to the hardware store for milk, which is another way of saying to go to strangers for love. Or I would say to even go outside of yourself for love. Mm -hmm. I'm married. I, I can be codependent. I can be needy. And my wife is incredibly affectionate, incredibly psychologically supportive. But the primary function of our relationship is to like, like uh, Ghostbusters blasts, the love blast to sh shoot them into each other, to amplify the love that we have inside of ourselves through one another, not to, I don't go to my relationship to get as much as I go to, to give. And that, I think that's something that was hard learned for me. Is the, and by the way, we have to talk about the social media thing, because as you know, from the beginning, I've got a social media problem. I didn't know that. Uh, it, well, Did we talk about that? No, I just mean me talking about TikTok. Like I spend. Oh yeah, for, oh from the beginning. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, like I spend too much time there. Um, so we'll get to that. But I just want to clarify the realization, the the fairy tale mythology realization that you're a wizard or that you have fairy uh, royal blood in you or whatever. Is that the realization that you matter simply because you exist? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You're. You're, you're looking for a ticket to the show and you are the show. Mm -hmm. There's a great Alan Watts quote, which really helped me flip how I thought about myself. So a lot of us think of ourselves as visitors in this world. Like you're not, that you're not the world. <laughs> but he says, yeah, sorry, bang the tail. Um, you didn't come into the world. Like you think when you're born, you came into this world. Your mm -hmm. parents brought you into this world. Alison Rosen came into the world. But Alison Rosen came out of the world. Right. You are a product of undulating energy and waves splashing into each other and bursting. You are as natural here as an apple on a tree. An apple didn't come into a tree. It came out of the tree. Mm -hmm. You are relationship itself, your flow itself. And when you realize that, and again, it, it takes more than just hearing it. You have to hear it about a thousand times and you have to tell it to yourself and you have to make it part of your consciousness, like your conscious brain. But you can feel like you are not a stranger here. Because even though I say that, we often do need experiences. Like Harry Potter needs to go to Hogwarts and see the magic. Mm -hmm. And then it's it slowly un unraveling. He doesn't just find out his parents. What happens when he finds out his parents are wizards? He doesn't believe it. That This is the hero's journey. You get the call. Neo gets the call in the office. You're the one. He doesn't believe it. He goes out on the ledge and he gets scared and he gets caught by the agents. Why do we love these stories? Because this is the story of the human soul, if you'll allow some spiritual language, or the human psyche. But psyche just means soul. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if anybody knows that. It's it's a, it's a synonym. I didn't know that. Um, psyche means soul. We don't use it that way, though. So it does have a different meaning. But we all need to – the first thing is you hear someone maybe talking like this and be like, hey – uh, you are of divine blood. You are of royal blood. And the reason we love those stories is because it's the journey we all have to go on. But the first thing you do is you resist. There's a great story about uh, 
there's a, a a baby wolf that is separated from his pack, and then these sheep take over the wolf. They they raise the wolf, and they they with their wool they make him a sheep outfit, <laughs> and they teach him to eat grass, and the wolf is eating grass, and they even teach him to ba. So there's a baby wolf. He grows up into a grown up wolf. He's got the wool, and he's bang like ba like the sheep. Mm-hmm. And then one day a wolf comes by, sees this, and goes, "What are you doing? This is." You're a wolf. You're divine. Wolf isn't better than sheep. It's just the story. So he's going, you're divine. You're, you're a wolf. And the wolf has only ever been a sheep. He's like, what are you talking about? And he takes some meat and he gives the meat to the wolf sheep and the wolf sheep chokes on it. Like we all oh. do on the truth. We all resist. For some reason, love and acceptance is rejected. It takes practice. Mm -hmm. It takes self-love. It takes self-forgiveness. You have to hear it over and over. And sometimes you need a loving teacher to shove metaphorical meat into your mouth and show you and chew it and go, you're a wolf, you're a wolf, and take your clothes off and and show you, to mix metaphors, that you're the golden Buddha. There's another one about (laughs) Buddha. There was a war in China and uh, or it wasn't war, maybe more like a pirate situation. Like there was another village coming into this uh, monastery, and there was a huge golden Buddha in the middle of the Zen monastery. And to co- to protect it, they didn't want them to ransack it. They covered the Buddha in uh, mud, so it looked like a stone Buddha, and it worked and stayed there. But for hundreds of years after that, everyone everyone died, and everybody just thought it was a stone Buddha. This is us. We are golden Buddhas. We are covered in mud. Some of the mud comes from social media. There's a lot of people telling you you ain't shit. There's bad parents. There's bad culture. There's bad society. There's bad religion. There's bad theology. There's a lot of things that tell you you aren't shit. You don't belong here. You better get rich. You better get famous. Your podcast better triple its numbers. You better get more sponsors. You better impossibly get younger as you age. I I won't even... I won't even touch what it's like to be a woman. It's way worse. But all of this bullshit is the bullshit covering up the golden Buddha. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that is what spiritual practice is to me. It's not about I go to heaven and you go to hell. That is the boringest, stupidest reduction of nonsense that, that it, it's an embarrassment that that's what passes for religion these days. And it's what I was taught. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about true conversion. I'm talking about true transformation and I'm talking about true salvation, or you could say enlightenment, which is realizing you've never been separate from love or from God or from the truth or from the mystery or from the infinite, except in your mind. You are already there and it's your mind that is a liar. It's your mind that's a thief. It's your ego that tells you you ain't shit. And we need to work with different practices to silence that so you can break the break the shit off and realize your gold or go to Hogwarts and fuck up Voldemort. Why? Why? Every movie is about this. Iron Man, mm-hmm. you have to get shrapnel in your heart because it's often a wound, a heartbreak, in my case, a divorce that really makes you question who you are. And then you build... A, a suit, that's your ego. Now you have a nice healthy ego and you go around and you're impressive. But in the end, you have to take it off and die and wake up to who you really are. And Tony Stark, Avengers Endgame spoiler, realizes that he's not a selfish piece of shit. He's actually a Christ figure and he dies for everyone. You know what I'm saying? This is the human journey. This is why if you went and saw the Avengers and it didn't go that way, 
a lot of people would walk out and be like, I don't know why it just didn't ring true. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel right because mythology is in our bones. It's a collective dream we're all having. It's an intuition. It's a heart knowing. And, and the best stories catch up with the heart and say back to it what it already knows. So for me, part of this whole pandemic has been kind of reckoning with my need for external validation that I was, I I found at different times in my life, it becomes even more exacerbated and I become even more sensitive. And I had a day and I have talked about this before, but it's, it's been a while. I had a day where I was looking at Instagram and someone really big was on someone else's podcast. And just, I had not reached out to this person even, but I was like, oh man, like that person would never come on my podcast, but maybe they, whatever. Regardless, somehow I went so fast from feeling fine in my own skin to feeling worthless, invisible, rejected, you know, all the, all the negative stuff. And I had this, for some reason I was able to like get outside of it a little bit. And I was like, Oh my God, am I going to feel like this every time someone else gets a scintilla of attention? Because if so, it's going to be a miserable life. And I was like, and I actually, I know that I have the tools inside of me to think my way out of this and to feel my way out of this. I mean, the tools inside of me and also I'm in therapy, but it was sort of this epiphany where I realized like I can build myself back up to feeling whole and all of this is just ephemeral. Um, So you said that you're not really on social media anymore. Can you talk more about that? Cause that is a huge source of pain for me that I like can't quit. Well, that's the joke. I I haven't told this joke on stage, but I go, it's only been a month, (laughs) but um, it, for some reason, you know, Sometimes you quit smoking and you know, like, I think I quit smoking. This is gonna, <laughs> you know, like, it's going to take. Like it's gonna yeah. take. I'll tell you why I feel confident that it'll take. Well, the joke is when I tell people I quit social media, nobody says why. Um, it's like saying you quit heroin or something. Everybody's just happy for you. Yeah. And all the people that make it, we know all this, but this is similar to what we were saying before. I can tell you, you are uh, a divine daughter of the universe. You still, it takes more, unfortunately. In the same way, I can tell you Instagram is heroin. (laughs) I can tell you with teenage girls, it leads to suicide Mm -hmm. or increased numbers of suicide. Um, I can tell you from experience, it leads to mindless spending. I have weird shit showing up at my house. I'm like, when the fuck did I order this massager? Like, <laughs> it's just like, because it's, it's got me by the nose, you know, it, it knows what I like. It's like, this guy likes relaxing. So it shows me ads mm-hmm. for massagers. And then I buy one and I'm like, fuck, I'm really kind of on a wheel, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really somebody's pawn in mm-hmm. this moment, but none of that, none of that actually changes people. None of that actually converts people. And I also want to say, Allison, again, talking about which Pete you want to talk to. I relate so hard to your story. There's, there's, I'm not floating off my cushion. You think you're better than me? Uh, <laughs> very New York. You think like you got it. it figured out? <laughs> I just want you to know that I think you're just being more honest than most people. Oh, thank you. Um, because that is the experience of social media. And I tried talking about it on stage for a while where I was like, I'd go on Instagram it's all comedians and other people I know. And I'd just be scrolling through. And if you watch your mind, I'd be going, you ain't shit. 
um, fuck you. I'm yeah. better than you. It's You're like better a, than me. The most base shit. Well, it's it's literally dualistic thinking. Yeah. It can only tell dualistic stories. It's only engaged with in a dualistic way for the most part. You either like it or you don't. Mm-hmm. You live a mean comment or a nice comment. Right. I mean, like, I guess the comments could be more subtle, but uh, it's it reduces reality into a product. Obviously, that's that's what it. They would say that that's what they're doing. Yeah. They're like, oh, then check mark. We 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 hit our goal. <laughs> but let me. Here's the weird, fucked up thing: is that like you? Okay, so spirituality really comes down to like, are you identified with your ego, or are you identified with your essence, mm-hmm. with the with the um, the light shining through? There's all. There's pick your metaphor. Right. Your my my New York therapist would have described it as your higher self. Your higher self is okay, but sometimes people say higher self because that's just Alison Rosen kicking ass. I mean completely away from Alison Rosen. I mean not your thoughts, the presence behind your thoughts that's watching your thoughts. Yeah. And this thing was never born. It'll never die. And it doesn't – I mean it's invested in your life in the way that it's watching the thoughts about how invested you are. But it's pretty impersonal actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little slice of being being itself. That's a good way to put it. So the ego doesn't like that we're in the business of uh, sort of proving that it's a straw man because your ego, uh, to kind of give that a definition, is really just a, a tapestry, a mosaic of thoughts, experiences, things people tell you you are. Allison, you are a woman. You are a personality. You are Jewish. You are this, this. So they're reflecting back these things to you. And pretty soon you start to believe that you are those things. Pete, you are Lithuanian. You are tall. You are loud. You are a bit much. And you start going like, <laughs> I am all those things. No, right? And I, and, and as a comedian, I've learned so clearly what my ego is that I can, you can rent him and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll bring him to St. Louis at eight o'clock on a Friday mm-hmm. and you can pay to watch him. But that's not really me. In the morning when I wake up, I sort of slowly remember that I'm him. Like I put him back on. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. You know what I mean? So it's it's a little play we're doing. You really feel it when you go home and see your parents and you start reading from a play that you wrote in 1986. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they start treating you like they did when you were 10 and you treat them like you did when you were 10 and everybody's reverting. And also you can see you can see how unreal it is in how much it changes. Uh, spirituality is interested in what doesn't change, meaning the hum in the fridge, not the contents of the fridge, but just the the hum, <laughs> right? So here's this brings it back to social media. The ego will take a suffering Allison that that is uh, insisting and feeling that the ego is real over vanishing. Mm-hmm. So what I mean is it will have you get angry and feel jealous and petty. And all these things that you just were kind of saying you don't like, at least then it exists. And I would notice that I would do that. I'd be scrolling through Twitter replies or whatever, and I wouldn't stop until I got a really good bad one. Oh, I know what you mean. So who is doing that? I really think it's because it was counterbalancing. You do meditating, hallucinogenic experiences, whatever it might be where you're having spirit consciousness, you're becoming something else. And ego gets threatened and ego is like, I would rather be real and think I'm a piece of shit than vanish. 
The, by the way, I do want to point out that I'm not trying to get rid of my ego. I'm just trying to realize that it's not really the fullness of who I am. Mm-hmm. I, I don't treat him like something I'm trying. I love him. He's beautiful. He protected me when I was a kid, when the world was just legs. You know, <laughs> he got me food. He got me a job. He's beautiful. He's valid. He he belongs in this world too. It's just like when we're afraid of dying, it's that that part of you is afraid of dying. And that part of you does die. So it's really best not to get attached to something that's written on running water. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like if why, sorry to quote Jesus, but he says, don't put your treasure where, where moth and, du- and rust corrupt. He's like, yeah, do it. Like live your life and do stuff. But if you start going like, I am Alison Rosen. Well, I have really bad news for Alison Rosen. She's temporary. This is Buddhism. We've mm-hmm. shifted from Christianity into Buddhism. That's all going away. So don't waste your time getting too upset about who had Dave Chappelle on their podcast or whoever it was. That's that's really just a waste of the potential mm-hmm. of connection and flow and life. Do an impression of an enlightened person. Yeah. It's a distra- it's a distraction is what th- sort of how I look at it. Like all that energy spent getting all twisted up over something like that is sort of a distraction from what life could be about. Exactly. And what what do we know life is about? Uh, again, Richard Rohr who who's a Franciscan who who really changed my life. He's like, you know, a lot of people that do terrible things tend to be isolated. And it's interesting when we go into our higher place into our more um, less neurotic, more connected to the wizard parents or the royal blood, when you can feel that trust, you do tend to engage more. You tend to connect more because you're no longer just a bit of data walking around trying to take care of that bit of data. You realize you're a part of, of one thing. And all of the great monotheistic religions have this idea that this is just one thing, mm-hmm. that you and I are just having a dream that you're this and I'm this. And that's a beautiful way to kind of access that flow because then I do want to spend more time with you. It doesn't matter if we don't agree on everything. It doesn't even matter if I don't like everything about you in this example. We can we can find something behind it, something true or something deeper. So you mentioned at the beginning that you were able to get to, I don't know if you said the word repair, but you were able to get closer to your parents. Can you talk a little more about about what what was going on and sort of what's going on now? Yeah, I actually, it it would apply to your Instagram story. And this is a Buddhist thing, but one of the teachers that changed my life, her name is Byron Katie. Oh, yeah. You know know Byron Katie? Yes, because when I was living in New York... Uh, f- by the way, have I mentioned I lived in New York? Uh, people give me shit for mentioning all the time. So the joke is that I never mention it. Um, a friend of mine recommended the book. We were both like dating and in pain because of dating. And she has some book that's like, is, is, what is it? You, you might know it. It's like, is this true? I wouldn't, uh, I like that one. I, is that, th- is <laughs> that what it's called the- though? I need your love. Is that true? Yeah. It's like you question your own sort of automatic thoughts, beliefs. If your thoughts are bringing you pain, question them because it might not be true. However, you're interpreting a situation. So that's how I know that is. Yeah. And I, that one has a great title. I, just for the people listening, the book that really, because I've read all of them, um, loving what is, is really Mm. the best one I think to start with. 
but she she's a very very interesting and brilliant and wonderful person and that practice it's called the work and it's very easy to describe so you have a thought um that person would never do my podcast right you you were even doing it naturally when you just said that and you're like is that even true like you're you're causing yourself this suffering yeah based on predicated on something that's false and when someone this is called uh awareness of thought it's mm-hmm. one of the types of um kind of like yogas of of buddhism i guess you could say to blend some some different traditions <laughs> but it's a practice you have awareness of your thought you have awareness of different things but the awareness of thought is taking a moment what i did was on my podcast, I was always going on and on. My mom's not Jewish, but this is typically a Jewish problem. She's Lithuanian, which I always say is close enough, is that she was sort of an overloving mother. And I had, because of therapy, I'm not putting down my therapist, Dr. Gary Penn. He's a genius. I love him. He changed my life. He has a book and a podcast. You should check him out. He's awesome. Um, but I think through therapy, I had built a story. I think I had done most of the building. Mm-hmm. I don't think Gary Penn directed me that way. But over the sessions, I was building a story. My mom had an inappropriate amount of love to me. It was emotional incest. Mm. It was uh, all these things. So it had driven a rift between me and my mom, as it would. Not meaning we didn't see each other, didn't talk. But there was like a coldness there. Mm -hmm. Because I was always going like, hey, you were not cool. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) That's a minor way to put it. Um, (laughs) And then what I did, I did, this is how the work works. You go like, my mom was in love with me, like romantic love with mm-hmm. me. So this is how the, the work works. It's four questions and a turnaround. You go, is it true? Uh, most people are going to go, yes. <laughs> Which is why the second question is, can you know for sure? Mm. Absolutely. It is true. So the second question is the a real The second question be- is like, is that your final answer? <laughs> it's exactly. like giving you a moment yeah. to, to rethink. It's like a cop going, are you sure about that? (laughs) Like, are you sure you want to tell me that's not your bag? Um, So the second question really, but that is what awareness is. That is what spirituality is, is that pause. It's, It's a moment of let's get out of the neural grooves. Let's get out of our habitual thinking patterns, which is like, I thought something, it's true. That's a pattern that we all have. Again, Richard Rohr says, the addiction that we all have is we're addicted to our own way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And we all need to like get sober. And this is a way of getting sober. So the second question is, can you absolutely be sure that it's true? The reason I like this example is, is you go, my mom had inappropriate, was in love with me. How do I know what my mom was feeling? Even if she told me, you know, like you can't know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I tell people I, I feel things, but it's not even true inside. Like there's so much bullshit going on that you have to come clean and go, you know what? I can't say for sure that was true. Right. Right. Um, the, then the third one is how does it make you feel when you believe that? Mm. And I go, it makes me feel small, makes me feel scared, makes me feel vulnerable. It makes me feel angry. All these things. Then the fourth one is, how would you feel if the opposite or, or, or if it wasn't true? And I always go, I would feel free. I would feel spacious. I would feel alive. I would feel glad. I, I would have love for my mom. I would be less judgmental. All these good things. Then the real doozy is, what is the turnaround? <clears throat> and this is when you can sort of do therapy to yourself. The turnaround on my mom was in love with me is, I was in love with my mom. Right. So this is, this is, you can save yourself the 
500 bucks to see a therapist and just go, how was that true? And be, and, and, and list out some of the ways that that's true. Or the other turnaround is my mom wasn't in love with me. How is that true? Well, you know what? My mom never did anything, uh, inappropriate with me. That's true. So that's evidence that she was not in love with me. She had like a lawyer. You could be like, she had the occasion to do it. We were constantly together. She could have been like, I'm in love with you. Let's run away. I don't love your father. She could have said that. Mm-hmm. We were constantly together. She didn't say. So you start building evidence to prove the other side. Now, I, I understand, especially with with uh, traumas like that, it's sensitive. People want to own what happened to them. And I'm not talking about um, de- or, or hypnotizing yourself in a different way to say something that happened didn't happen. It, it gets tricky and she is way more qualified to explain this process. I'm just telling you what I did specifically, mm-hmm. but it works with everything. My mother doesn't respect me. Um, my father doesn't understand what I do. Okay. What's the turnaround? My father does understand what I do. What are the, what's the evidence of that? Well, when he came to see me in Boston, I saw him laughing. But you delete those. You mm-hmm. delete them because there's this weird, perverse desire to have your pain, to to make villains, to to know you're right. And and the best way to know you're right is to have a good adversary. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, dad. And like I did the work on so many beliefs that they all just went away. Some of them may be true. Maybe my mom wasn't loving me. But the point is like, I don't know. And it's not serving me. Right. So I'm going to say it's as true as it's not true. And that leads to a dissolving. Again, I understand. Uh, please don't think I'm saying every trauma can be done like this. Uh, we have to have respect. I, my wife, Val, for example, has said that it doesn't work with everything. And I have other friends that say it doesn't work with everything. So I'm not trying to say this is the one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. You, that is what made me reconcile with my parents because I realized I wasn't talking to my parents. I was talking to a story that I had made of this woman who was in love with me and this man who doesn't understand me. And then when you move those filters out of the way, you can see reality clearly. What are they doing right now? Mm-hmm. What, what is happening right now? Yeah, I mean, I guess the one of the limits of that Tell me if you agree with this would be if in doing it, you leave yourself vulnerable again to something that's going to hurt you. But you're like, but you're talking about feelings from childhood that are not persisting right now. Well, it's interesting. Well, you could do the work on that. My paranoia is keeping me safe. Is it true? I mean, you'll have to do that right. for yourself. Right, right, right. My yeah. brain would is screaming, yes. Worrying helps. Mm-hmm. Anxiety helps. Yeah. This is our little preparation that we do. This is why consciousness of thought helps. My paranoia is preparation to keep me safe. Mm-hmm. You know what isn't safe? Feeling small, yeah. feeling pinched, feeling angry, hating your parents. When they text you, you get a feeling of dread. You know what feels great? Being here, being now, being open, being present, and not fighting adversaries that may not be there. Yeah. So, of course, your brain is going to be like, don't do that. You'll be a sucker. You'll buy a bridge in Brooklyn. You'll lose all your money. You'll lose your job. You won't be funny. Uh, I mean, if I'm funny, I'm evidence that that's not true. The more clear I get, the more free I get, the safer I feel because I'm facing reality for what it is. Mm-hmm. 
90% of our thoughts are repetitive and useless. And our brains, the trick of all tricks, has convinced us that it's in our best interest. Fuck you. You work for me. I don't work for you. You're an instrument of my body. And when I tell you to shut the fuck up, you shut the fuck up. That's what meditation is. That's what practice is. They just say it nicer. So are you still in therapy? No, I haven't been in therapy for many, many years, but I loved therapy. Um, and I'm definitely pro-therapy. And I think that's why I like to say there's like psychological levels and there's like spiritual levels. Sometimes the spiritual level is like, you know, one of my great teachers, Ramdas, says like, you know, we're all kind of going around with our fake identities, like we're wearing spacesuits and and like we're doing now. Oh, Allison, you're the host and I'm the guest and we're all just kind of instead of talking completely real, we just kind of tell each other that our suits are on straight. <laughs> and we all know that feeling. There's sort of like a, a smell of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And kids can really sense it. Kids are like, why are you talking this way? <laughs> yeah. Like when, when I saw my dad talking to someone who he hired him to do a job, why are you talking in that, in a subservient way? Or why are you talking in an alpha way? Why are you changing how you, cause we're playing all these little roles. And I have heard Ramdas say, like, when your suit doesn't work, you go to a therapist and the therapist teaches you how to wear their suit. Mm. But I think there's some value to that. Like, on a very surface, beautiful level, I needed Dr. Gary Penn. His mantra was always, so what? I would convince, I, I would tell him something horrible that I thought or something weird turned me on or something. And he'd be like, so what? And that's the voice of Dr. Penn. And I needed that. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world of symbols. I'm a big fan of Young. Remember what I said, when you want to be converted, it's very helpful to be with people who can model right. a greater level of compassion, a greater level of love. And with a therapist, it's a greater level of self-forgiveness and incorporation. So he was a father figure to me. So here's a man. I needed a man because I have a father wound. And he was sitting there going, so what? And that stayed with me. And after I heard him say, so what, to 5,000 different confessions, I finally was like, I think we can go to once a month. Then we went to once a month for a while. And then I was like, I think I'm good. And now I love him. And if I'm ever in a pinch psychologically, I haven't done it, but I know he's there. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, let's, I don't want to get so hoity-toity in the spirit stuff that I, that I want to like dismiss mm-hmm. mental health. Right. Talk therapy helped my life and it changed my life. And I think it can change. I really, I hate the stigma of it. My parents, even my father was like, you don't go to a therapist. Like he was embarrassed. And I was like, I've told you many times I go to a therapist. Like, I'm still pretty sure he's deleted that, that I go to, that <laughs> right. I go to a therapist, even though I, he's I'm like, very vocal. Pete about it. Peter is in therapy. Is that true? <laughs> ah, he's doing the work he, on does, that. he does the work on his, on his son. Yeah, maybe. Um, You mentioned, uh, noticing when people speak in a different way, like in different environments. And I have always been very, very sensitive to that. And I notice it. And I have this overreaction where I almost feel betrayed. And I don't know what that is, but like, what? Like, you don't like, oh, if like, you don't use that word. You don't use that word in that way. Like, why are you, why are you shape shifting? Yeah. Um, I don't I'm the know. same way. It makes you feel unsafe. I guess, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Uh, but I mean, parents, like, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, they didn't get along. <laughs> still, I mean, 
they're great and they have their own dynamic. But like when we were kids, it was rocky. It was pretty rocky. And so I equate safety with like consistency. Yes. And being understood. So this is good psychological stuff, like identifying. So putting all the woo-woo aside and just saying like, Val, my wife, it's really important for both of us that that we've identified that a fundamental need for Pete is to know that he's being understood. And if he doesn't feel understood, he might act weird at a dinner party. You know what I mean? And that sounds like Val gets mad at me. She doesn't. She's the most patient, beautiful beam of light I've ever known in my life. But like part of our job as partners is helping each other know what what makes the other person feel safe. Right. And for me, I really just found this language like I need to be understood. Of course, I get up in front of people and try to make them laugh because a laugh is we get it. Did, did you get the joke? Mm-hmm. So something that makes me feel safe is having people follow me. I want to be followed. I want to be understood. Because when I was a kid, and again, it's not to over-dramatize how it was growing up. There were a lot of great things about my childhood. But I had to, I felt like I had to keep tabs on everything. And if I was noticing something was different or askew, I would go, this isn't safe. Mm -hmm. And I'm still that way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How has having a, how old is your daughter now? She's three. So how has fatherhood uh well how how has it been first of all but then also is that bringing up stuff from your childhood for you a little bit i i was kind of bitter again it was before the pandemic i remember people would say did having a baby make you understand your parents more and i would always say it made me understand them less same uh yeah and there's some truth to that um they were doing i'm not just saying this really allison i'm really taking a moment to own it they really did the best they could, and I'm grateful. And uh, because of their love, they raised a child who then had a child and will hopefully do better. Mm-hmm. That's how the world works. Let's just keep doing better. And Leela will do better than we did. This is just, this is ideally how things will go. But I mean, when I'm like, think about like, having scream fights, you know, in the house with children. I'm just like, I, I would rather die than subject my daughter to an unsafe environment. But why? It's because I felt unsafe. Mm -hmm. So there's a gift in that suffering and the gift gets paid to me. I get to now enjoy a very peaceful house. When my parents visit, they're always like, it's so peaceful. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. And my daughter gets to bed. She and I wouldn't have done it if I don't think I would have done it as fervently mm-hmm. if I hadn't experienced the the, the suffering. Yeah, and I'm using that term very generally. So that was my sort of snooty answer. But having a baby has been the greatest thing in the world, and it's like having something. It's very simple, but having something outside of you. I had that with Valerie. And now I have it with Valerie and Leela. It's incredibly healthy. Talk about getting off social media. A baby is the opposite of social media. <laughs> it's, it's real. It's here. It's really listening to you. It's really with you. You can really listen to it. Unlike your phone, when I look my daughter in the eye and don't even say anything, but just present myself, it's going to make me cry, as solid and, and there, for her, 
without saying anything. I don't have to say anything. I just lock on to her and she locks on to me. That is the opposite of going on and seeing if my YouTube video has any new comments. I never did that. YouTube comments are the worst. But the more we can give our life away and the more you can give your life away to life, not to synthetic life or fabricated life or packaged false realities. Mm -hmm. That's what a daughter has been for me. And that's what marriage has been for me. And that's where the juice is. I know I sound sort of like an old person, but I really am (laughs) uncovering like it's here and now it's in this conversation. It's right here. Stop waiting for something to happen. Mm -hmm. Stop waiting for something to happen to be happy. The way you feel, Tony, right now, (laughs) Allison, the way you feel right now is your life. Yeah. This is your life. And this conversation is shaping your future. And that's a beautiful potential. We're having a conversation that will possibly blossom into a better future because we're talking about love. We're talking about patience. We're talking about compassion. We're talking about flow. We're talking about connection and we're connecting. So everything rolls over into the next thing. I could also be hit by a bus, but how was I crossing the street before I'm hit by the, you know what I mean? Like it, it does matter. It, it's happening. It, it pays forward. And, and I will die one day. It's, 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 <laughs> it's well, both. Well, hopefully not anytime soon. Listen, Pete, speaking of connection, this is not a good segue. I call myself <laughs> and have been called by people who've heard me say it first, the queen of segues. And I feel and that the I, bad boy. Of <laughs> yeah. So, so is this a nickname you gave yourself? Is that what you're saying? right now? <laughs> Possibly. I can't, I can't read. It's all very fuzzy. I can't remember now. Someone came up with it. Was it me? Was it someone else? I don't know. I think it's indisputable, <laughs> but all I'm saying is, uh, I just want to talk to you guys about the ring alarm. We have a ring alarm. We love the ring alarm. Protect your home with the ring alarm. For a special offer, go to ring.com forward slash best friend. It's the perfect way to start your ring experience. Okay, so we have a ring doorbell. Uh, many people have a ring doorbell. I cannot imagine life without the ring doorbell. Uh, I love it. It's indispensable. I didn't realize that Ring made an alarm. When we moved into this house, we wanted to get an alarm. Well, my husband mostly wanted to get an alarm system. And we started looking into them and there were issues with each of them. I didn't really want to have to have a service come out and get it set up. And then I don't know, I I had just read a lot of stuff that made me go, then they gave me pause. Uh, And then I was talking to the guy who straightens my hair, who is the perfect consumer. He researches everything before he, we talk about vacations, we talk about products, we talk about everything because he's like, he's like the internet in human form. (laughs) <laughs> and I said to him, do you have an alarm? And he said, oh, yeah, I just bought the ring alarm. Uh, and I was like, oh, I didn't know that they have that. And he's like, yeah, I just I bought it. And then I set it up myself. And then I was very intrigued. Uh, and I came home and I told Daniel and we went out and, and we got it. And it's great. And then shortly after that, we went on vacation. This was back in, in the before times we went on vacation. And it was just really great to know that we could monitor our home from far away. And uh, it's just it, it just gives you peace of mind. Like I said, you can set it up yourself very quickly. It works. If you happen to have other ring products, it works seamlessly with them. It's just uh, they've thought of everything. 
and it's great. Protect your home anytime from anywhere with Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com slash best friend for a special offer on a Ring Alarm security kit today. You can build the system that's right for your home and have it up and running in minutes. That's ring.com slash best friend. Again, ring.com slash best friend. Okay, and we're back. So Pete, you are going to be in a new show where you play a bowler. Is this right? <laughs> a professional bowling dude? See, going from the spiritual stuff to the ad was like a, was a lane change. But going from the ad into like show business feels just right. <laughs> so, thank, so thank you. Um, because that is an ad. Now we're, we're plugging my uh, show. It's called Smallwood. It's on CBS. I believe it starts in January. Um, and I the, the question I always get is, do you bowl? And I have my first bowling lesson on Monday. But everybody bowls a little bit. That's yeah. what's fun about bowling. But now is this a show that you also ha- are behind the scenes or are you just in front of the no. camera? And Allison Rosen, my new best friend, can I tell you? Please. When I was on HBO's Crashers, I Crashers? used to look <laughs> I always say it wrong for fun. <laughs> um I used to I just saw Jermaine Fowler last night. He did my Largo show and he's the best. And we were laughing and I was just remembering how much I used to resent the actors, not in a real way, right? but in an Instagram way. And just like when you are the creator and the executive producer, all these things mean nothing, by the way. They're just words for the person who's making the show. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything. But to be fancy, the creator, the star, and the EP, and the writer, Um, one of the writers, there's just so many hats. Mm-hmm. It's a ridiculous number of hats. And what a privilege. And I'm so glad I got to do it. And it was incredibly fun. But it was incredibly hard, too. And I used to look at the actors eating donuts, <laughs> um, farting on set, laughing. Not really farting, but they really were laughing. They had bits. They were sitting in chairs. If someone yelled cut on my show, I would then walk over to uh, the wonderful, hardworking producers who would then show me an audition for one of the actors. Or they'd show me um, a wardrobe choice for someone. Or they'd show me a set. Or they'd show me a cut of something. Again, as I'm saying this, it's been so long since I've had that sort of like fancy lifestyle. It sounds <laughs> really fun. But I also know that it was really a lot harder than just being an actor. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying just being an actor. I'm just saying... No, but I'm having a defined really... role and where you get to n- stop thinking about it at times. Oh, my God. I We shot the pilot, so I already know. And I, I just did a movie. I did the... They're doing a Home Alone reboot for Disney. Oh, cool. So I got to do that. And that was the first time since crashing I've done just an acting job. And I was like... It's it's like going from the owner of a restaurant to a waiter. And there's a lot of brilliant waiters and waiters are probably the most important part of a restaurant. I mean, with the food. <laughs> but like you, the the analogy falls apart. But what I'm saying is <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> I got to be on the set of Home Alone and just be a waiter. And I fucking loved it. And then I was uh did the pilot for Smallwood and I fucking loved it because all of my energy went to being funny and doing a good performance. And then I had all of this energy left over. I'm going to say 60% of my energy was still in the tank Mm -hmm. and I just wasn't used to it. And you know what you use that 60% for? I can't wait to tell you being a nice guy, being, having fun, 
talking to people, getting to know the boom guy, getting to know the AD, the stage manager, all these things, eating Starburst, <laughs> sitting on the set. Farting on set. Farting. on I definitely farted a few times on set. We're all involuntary, but it had to happen. Uh, I'm just, I'm 42. It's going to happen. <laughs> hey, I love to talk about even, farts. I mean, me too. They're the funniest thing that we're not talking about. But um, I just loved the experience. And Mark Gross, who wrote it, who's incredible, is a stand-up as well. And he will graciously ask me for input on the scripts. But it's just that. It's just asking, what do you think of this? Or or if I want to pitch a joke, I feel comfortable doing that. But I really trust him. Tommy Jonigan is one of the writers who's incredible. Uh, forgive me, I don't know the whole staff, but I know Tommy's on it. And I, I just trust. I get to trust, show up, and do a good job. And that feels really like a great change of pace um, from, again, the privilege of, of doing everything on a show to just acting. I'm really looking forward to it. You mentioned the 60% being used to be a nice guy and eat Starburst and fart, the American dream. But yeah. when your tank is low, are you what, what happens when you're when you're on empty? I mean, I think I just get very quiet. I'm not like a blow up person. It's it's very waspy. It's very <laughs> Is it Lithuanian? Pinched. It's a little Lithuanian and it's very morose. I, I just get like my feeling is I don't have the energy, I don't have the time, and I don't I can't be who they're asking me to be. Mm. And mostly socially. One of the weirdest and sort of perverse things that doing a show about your life can do to you is it starts to blur the line between your job and ordinary interactions with human beings. And I think this is what the metaphor of selling your soul to the devil to play the fiddle is mm -hmm. really about on one level, is that you there's this cost you pay. When life is sharing and engaging, and you make your job sharing yes. and engaging, I would find when my energy was really low, in between scenes or takes or whatever, someone would very nicely just want to talk to me. And I remember I would talk to them because I'm like a, a people pleaser, codependent, all these things. It seems like you agree with that. Like I'd rather die than be considered a piece of shit or rude. <laughs> Same. But really what I should have said was like, it's not a great time. And with the people that I really love, like my, um, my assistant Paige, I, I hesitate calling her my assistant because she does so much. And she was a producer on crashing, but like Paige is a person that I felt safe enough to be like, I just need a break. Um, or, or Judah, the producer or Oren, who I mentioned earlier, these are the people that you could be like, I just need five minutes. Um, but most everybody else would get this, but in my mind, I'd be talking to them and I'm like, this is what I do for my work. <laughs> like someone would be like, where are you from? And I, I don't feel this way. But in those moments mm -hmm. where my tank was on empty, I'd be like, you're asking me to tell you in an engaging and interesting way that my mom's Lithuanian and my dad's Irish and I'm from Boston, but really I'm from Lexington, but I say Boston because when I say Lexington, people think I mean Kentucky because I look so corn fed. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that performance for you, mm. but that's fucked up. That's not living in the moment. That's not uh, drilling into your inner resource. That's, that's just like being worked so hard. 
you forget yourself. And I, yeah, I it's, like it, it's also not establishing your own boundaries and then being angry at other people because you're not taking care of yourself. It's a hundred percent on me. But like, here's a, a small one. I'm hesitant to say it because it seems a little diva ish. But again, I went into cra- season one of Crashing being like, like your podcast, I'm going to be everyone's best friend. I knew everyone's name um, and I talked to everybody in between takes. But the example I want to give you is in the morning, the, my, the driver would come and I loved all the drivers. All the union guys had the most interesting stories. They always had great senses of humor and I really liked them. Donnie, Ryan, these, these, I, I'm saying that to, to show <laughs> really, that you're really a man of the people. I'm virtue signaling, I believe they call us. But I did love them. And then by the third season, I realized you have to sit in the back. It's Uh, the only time you have. I just couldn't handle getting having a van pull up to my apartment or whatever and getting in the back. It felt like such an asshole thing to do. Mm -hmm. And then through therapy and having friends – that realized that the game of trying to please everyone and then eventually resenting them and not liking them for uh, giving them what they thought you were giving them freely. Yes. Is a fucked up, manipulative and dishonest thing to do. It totally is. Even though I really do love those drivers. I mean, if I saw... Ryan was the season three driver. If I saw him, we'd be excited to talk and have fun. And when I had energy, we would talk. But in the morning, and it's a 14-hour day, and you're in every scene. I know, boo-hoo, you're a star of a show. But it's hard. You have to save your energy. That's when the earphones go on, and it's just that's the signal that says, I do love you. And this is the only time I have to take care of myself. I know I sound a little bit like Oprah, but I bet Oprah would have a brilliant answer to this. These are generous people. These are gracious people. These are giving people. And I'm sure some diamond sharp therapist was like, Oprah, you need to take care of yourself. And when you're with uh, your partner through a 58-hour labor, which that's Val's story to tell, you learn to drink while you pour. Have you, I don't know if your Mm-mm. partner heard that. That was something they told me in pregnancy classes. They were like, while you're taking care of Val, remember to take care of yourself. I was 100% there for her, but I was also eating a protein bar every time I thought to because I'm also a person <laughs> worthy of care. She had <laughs> a 58-hour labor. Can you believe Because I had 41, and I thought that I had everyone beat, but this is really wow. Now. 40, I don't... I, I, mine, I was an induction, though, and those take forever, so... Yeah, I don't... I can't... I can't... I don't know much about inductions and non-inductions, but Val did have a natural, to a certain point, I, I think it was hour 50 she got an epidural, but she went through it for 58 hours. Oh, my God. Yeah, she is incredible. And she went into labor on her own. Yeah, she was not induced. Yet. Right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just taking that in. Um Oh, for people that don't know, that's extreme pain every 3 minutes for 58 hours. Yeah. My god. That is that is a level of torture that I mean the United Nations would be like we have to stop. <laughs> we have to intervene. 58 hour labors. Like this is inhuman. This is uh strange and un- unusual punishment, but it's it's happening 
in our bodies. Every three minutes, she had excruciating pain. Oh my god! For fifty-eight hours. Yeah. Was she traumatized? I mean, you said it's her story to tell, so I don't. I don't want to ask. Oh no, I, she wouldn't mind me telling it. Okay. Um, I I don't think she was. I don't. I hope I don't feel like I'm forcing spirituality into everything, but like what I've done with psychedelics, which is like sort of like de- death experiences she had with her labor. And it sounds like you probably had with your labor too. And it is a death. Uh, the you that wasn't a mother is dying in the same way. The 12 year old Allison is also dead. You know, dead is such a hard mm-hmm. word. I'm just saying these are big changes. Yeah. And that's what life is. We want to think it's this consistent thing, but mm-hmm. really it's constantly changing. I mean, this podcast has been and 90 minutes. We're different people than when we started. <laughs> no, it's, le- you know it's I mean? less than that. It just feels like 90. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I we started too. You know, I was on the Zoom at two. You guys were a little late. So I've been here for 90 minutes. <laughs> uh, I, 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 Allison was a little late. I oh, was a little you, bit Tony. late. I was a little bit late. Thank you, Tony. All right. See, Tony, uh, Tony's a double agent. He's a You Made It Weird tech and an Allison Rosen tech, so he's going to play both sides here. <laughs> I don't know if I like that very much. I know. And I don't like how petty I was for calling you for being late. But we were No, riffing. it's okay. Everything's fair That's, in a Hey, riff. we're pinging and ponging. We're pinging and ponging, pinging and ponging. We're pinging and ponging. That's right. I don't even remember what I was saying. But, oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, just for people who don't know, and I think, because you've been on my show multiple times, I think pinging and I think this even came Came up was but, number one yeah number one okay. yeah the, we, we you joked that you and i were pinging and ponging and then we started yeah. signing emails ping pong or pmp and then i saw you on marin and you you mentioned pinging and ponging and i'm like oh, and i think i asked i'm like is that a thing you had said and you're like no i think I, like you had, yes. it had grown out of this so yeah, i felt very honored you mean the tv show yes yeah I, I believe that that is correct because we were improvising and I probably just pulled Pingin and Pong and I definitely pulled Pingin and Pong and straight it. from Allison Rose. I love it. All right, listen, we have lots of things to do. Um, um, let's see. Let's just take a few questions from listeners. I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Uh, Patreon bonus episodes of The Friend Zone. Get all your questions answered guests all sorts of stuff on the friend zone there's a level where you can text me and i'll text you back oh my god what unfettered access zoom parties uh thursday show videos submit carbs submit questions patreon.com slash allison rose if you sign up for a year annual subscription you get two months free so it's 12 months for the price of 10 okay when we ask they send them in they're wondering how you so thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. All right, Whitney C says, what's something you've done that could be described as out of character for you? Whitney Cummings? <laughs> what are you doing chiming in on the show? Out of character, something I've done that's out of character for me. Ooh. You know when you're looking up, but you realize you're not thinking. Yes, you're just like I'm just I'm just looking <laughs> like I'm thinking. I find myself, and it's been a long time since I've been at a restaurant, but I'll do that with a menu where I'm like I'm just glare I'm gl- I'm glancing at it, but none of the words are entering my head. I've yes. had a practice. I um I roasted Blake Griffin, who's a basketball player. Yeah. Um, and that was so out of character for me, but I. 
I'm hesitant to say I like roasting people because it actually sort of puts me in a very judgy place, which is super fun mm-hmm. on the day. But then it usually lingers for three weeks after the <laughs> roast that I'll be at the airport and I'm like, look at this fucking Gilligan's Island hat or whatever. And I <laughs> I just don't love the state that it puts me in. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like as close as I'll come to like boxing or something. And it's because it's the pitch of it is so high. Um, but that is my answer. I roasted Blake Griffin. There's no video of it, which I'm glad because these roasts are very part of the point is that they're inappropriate mm-hmm. or, and whatever. But it was, I think, a surprise to everyone there how for the jugular I went. I'll tell you who didn't mind Blake Griffin. He's a huge comedy fan and he loved it. And he, he, it was definitely a tie. He definitely, uh, cut my jugular. More than once. So, what was it for? It was in Montreal. In Montreal, they do uh, roast battle. I, I think I don't know if they do it every year, but it it was like a midnight show. I mean, this was a outside of my character for many reasons. Yeah. I go to bed at like ten. <laughs> it was started at midnight. It was incredibly mean. Uh, I'm try- I can't even. Every joke I can remember, I can't repeat on. <laughs> but we would call everybody called it Mean Pete. I had to like become a persona to get more comfortable right. with roasting. Even though I do really like writing a good roast joke. Uh, Megan Parkansky, what? When's the last time you texted slash talked to slash hung out with Aaron Rodgers? That's so weird, man. Because I just got a text from Scott Rogers, who's a friend of mine. And for a second, I thought it was Aaron Rogers. And I was like, that's a real synchronicity for me. Yeah. Um, the, well, I could tell you because it was probably over text, right? Um, this feels sort of obnoxious, but you asked. Aaron Rogers. I texted Aaron Rogers in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> and did he not write back? Um, Aaron Rogers, I'll give you the ratio. Okay. I think one of the reasons why Aaron Rodgers and I do get along, actually, he's very good at replying. Um, but the last text I sent him was about my book, and I'd love to send you one. So, Aaron, if you hear this, which I'm assuming you will. Oh, he's a big, big listener. He's a huge friendo. What do you call your <laughs> listeners? Your I don't really have. Yeah, I don't really have a name for them. I mean, from now on, it's it's friendos. Well, friendos. Yeah, if he's a pay, if he's on Patreon, then he's a friends with benefits. But I think he's a okay. friendo. Friendos. That's that's good. He's a friendo. Um, March twenty first, so close to my birthday. I usually see him on my. I've seen him a couple times on my birthday because we have similar friend groups. Anyway, this is boring. That's uh, interesting. Nine, uh, 2019. Oh, I was going to say the reason we we get along is like Blake Griffin. I I don't I've never seen him play football, so to me he's just like a very handsome, interesting man. <laughs> so I just I just treat him like a handsome, interesting man, which is which is a level up from like how I treat you know regular folk because yeah. he is dashing. But I don't I've never seen him win a game at the last second, so I don't have that reverence for right. him. So we can get along right. kind of as as human people. Oh, here's a question from Allison Rosen: Are you real life friends with Bo Burnham? Well, I think this adds to Bo's mystique. Bo is a true, so I th- think he wouldn't mind me saying, he's a true artist. Like when I see Bo, even though he's my friend, um, I get excited. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a thrill for me to see him. Um, I, I'm not nervous. That would be weird. But it is sort of like, there he is. Only to say that he, like his last special, which of course 
I mean, not, of course it's brilliant, but I think it's brilliant. Um, it's exciting to see Van Gogh, you know, yeah. like walking in the mall of America. So that's how I feel when I see Bo. And if I'm being completely honest, he'll, he will often say things like we should hang out and I won't follow up. And this is on me because I have such a deep respect for him. I don't want to bother him. Mm. I know this sounds like I'm blowing smoke, but like I have some people like that in my life where I'm like, you're so brilliant. I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> like, and I don't want to be like, hey, Bo. <laughs> so I, I think the last time I texted Bo was just, I, I didn't know what to say about a special. So I said, um, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. I wanted to thank him and mm-hmm. that was sincere, but I definitely am like, he's not going to reply. And then he does reply because he's, he's not Van Gogh. He's a, he's a sweet guy. And whenever he does my Largo show, he's gregarious and engaged. But for some reason I filed him in my brain as Van Gogh and you don't bother Van Gogh. <laughs> I totally get it. Right. Did you guys become friends through him coming on your show or through? Yeah. yeah. Like the conceit of your show, I would say, the past 10 friends that I've made uh, have been from my podcast. Um, and Bo, Bo is definitely the most requested return guest. He's done the podcast three times and I know he doesn't want to talk about inside. So I haven't asked him. How come? Do you why think? he doesn't want yeah. to talk about inside? I think I, this is just my interpretation yes. is based on nothing that he said is that he, the work is the work. I mean, the, the work is so communicative. Right. Why do you want to go on the radio and have people be like, so were you really inside or what's going on there? You know, like, <laughs> like it's a waste of his time. Again, to my point, it's a waste of his time yeah. to go on KTLA morning show and talk about it. Right. And also in, in the coolest way he doesn't need to. So anytime we're back to those boundaries, anytime someone goes like, I'm being understood, I don't need to do press. Yeah. Like people are finding it then uh, please keep doing that. Uh, Lee Brun says, um, holy cow, more Batman videos. And even though it didn't get picked up, fantastic job on crashing comedy scene, inside jokes, knee deep every episode. Wow. I really, I completely understood what he was saying, even though that was kind of written like a, like somebody was rolling dice that had words on them. <laughs> <laughs> Love crashing big time. Oh, tour de force. <laughs> I couldn't even do an impression of it. It was so uh, random. Um, uh, here, I love the Batman videos. I would happily do more. Here's the problem. They cost like $30,000. Oh, wow. Make. I can't believe I'm saying this. I never paid for them. They were always college humor or something like that. And we want to do... Um, we had an idea for a series uh, sort of like X-Men, but with Batman and we want to do it, but it's, it's literally like trying to put together a, a shoot for a pilot. It would take as long and it would take, so we were like, maybe we would crowdsource it. So really, what was this person's name? Lee Bruns. Lee. The question is, is like, if we did a GoFundMe, is it ridiculous to ask for $150,000? Cause I think that's what it would cost. Like, like Thomas Middleditch, a lot of the people that we like love using. I'm trying to think of other people. 
these people have like rates now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we did those videos before these people were super famous. I, they'd still do it for friend rates, but you still have to give them some money. Mm. And, and the, I, this is a boring answer. The suit, the lights, it costs so much money. If we could just do it cheap, it wouldn't be the, the videos that we love. Yeah. It has to look really good. Right. That's part of the joke. And Oren Brimmer, who directed all of them, that's part of his vision is like, it needs to look exactly like the movie or as close to the movie as we can, because that's part of what makes it funny. If you shot that on TikTok, it would be stupid. It would be like a viral thing for an afternoon. But I think what makes those so special is that, you know, they got smoke machines and they have like, not film cameras, but right. nice cameras and Patton Oswalt, like a lot of effort. So the short answer is, I'd love to, when we have time, and it would be interesting to maybe crowdsource it because that would that would speed things up. That makes sense. All right, let's do just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. This is where we share things that we think or do. We wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And listeners, you please send some of your own in. Tweet them to at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F uh, on Twitter. And that's where you do your tweeting. And use the hashtag J-M-O-E, just me or everyone. Okay, Pete, do you have one? I think so. And we were just saying off mic, I hope I didn't do this one before. But I is this just me or everyone? I respect the Beatles. <laughs> but I have never listened to them and I've never wanted to listen to them. I've never been like, Alexa, play the Beatles or the Beach Boys. All these things that so many people are like, have this deep reverence. Like, oh my God, pet sounds. You don't listen to pet sounds. I'm like, it revolutionized it the me? studio. <laughs> I just can't. I want to hold your hand. I I've never wanted to put it on. And then I had a baby. Sometimes I'll put it on because it sounds like baby's music to me. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of it sounds like a daytime festival. Desmond has a barrow at the marketplace. <laughs> like, are you? It sounds like the chorus should be like A B C D E F G H I J K. Like should be teaching me something fundamental about. And I know that's the time. So if I was 16 when that came out, I would have fucking loved it. And when I was a kid, I loved it. But now that I'm grown, is it just me or everyone? I don't want to admit it, but I don't like a lot of what people hold up as like the best music, like the Beatles. Okay. I'm just going to say there's no way that is just you, but it is funny that you mention it because I, Tony, I can't remember which episode it was, but weren't you saying that like, you still feel like the Beatles haven't gotten their due. That's how great they are. <laughs> yeah. I I basically said, yeah, I, I do. I think I, although they are the, you know, greatest band of all time and, and there will never yes. be another band bigger. I still think, think they're, better they're underrated that. and like we're weirdly, they're like still ahead of their time. Wow. Well, in many as, ways. You know, is it possible that I agree with you and I feel the way, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. When I say I want to hold your hand, you're a Beatles fan. You're not putting on I want to hold your hand. You're putting on Revolver. You're putting right. on later stuff. So I know how I'm wrong, and I think that's important. Uh, it, but here's an even better one. The Rolling Stones are the same way. Like, I yeah, know the Rolling I, Stones are incredible. I don't, I don't, I don't know the Rolling Stones. Stones. See, there you are. Yeah. Everybody has some version yeah. of it. It's not just the <clears throat> Beatles. It's like 
there's just so much stuff that I feel like I'm supposed to like that I don't that I don't like. What's a good one? Game of Thrones. I I know mm-hmm. it's good. I'm with I you. know it's good. You are? Yeah, I don't know. I, I never I, I watched like the first season and a half and then I hit a point where I was like, why am I watching this? I don't care about this yeah. at all. Do I do I work for you? Like <laughs> I, have, I have to know these areas. I I've watched the pilot of Game of Thrones again. No one be mad at me. You can tweet at me, I won't see it. Um, but don't be mad. I've watched the pilot, which is so clearly good, three times, like trying to get into it, like just three times. And I'm just like, I can't. Like too many realms. <laughs> there is. It's a lot to keep track of. I tapped out before Red Wedding because for me, it was just getting too I can't really handle a lot of violence and gore. And it was just getting too too upsetting for me personally. But I did recognize it was a good show before that. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, now I have to ask you, have you watched Shit's Creek? No, but Val loves it. Val, and she has very good taste. Yeah. I just, I'm weird with comedy. I, I, it's, and please don't take this as like, cool comedy, people don't like comedy. I do like comedy, but I'm weird with it. And I, Shit's Creek is, from what I can tell, literally just from the name, probably. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I don't know if I'm in the mood for something silly uh, like that. I, I don't know. I, I'm a, even though I like silly and being silly, when I'm sitting down to watch something, this is why I should like Game of Thrones. I like watching things that are like slow and, and like heavier. Like Mad Men is my favorite mm-hmm. show of all time. And I actually had to make a, a pact with myself. I was like, you can't watch Mad Men anymore. I said, unless you do a podcast about it. Why? Was it uh, too much of a time suck for you? Yeah, I, I was just, it, it was literally a compulsive behavior. I mm. was doing it too much. And people do that with TV. I don't think it's that weird. So I'm not giving myself a hard time. But I was like, that's enough. You can have watched Mad Men six times. <laughs> it's it's over. And since I got sober, it's it's way less uh, fun to rewatch. I used to watch it and, you know, you drink and it's like a fun drinking friend show. You know uh, what I didn't like? I didn't like when... Uh, when what's his face was writing in his diary and we were hearing his inner monologue. Oh yeah. How'd you feel about that? You couldn't find a bigger fan of the show, but that is a, I'm going to say two things about that. Similar to our Beatles thing. One pinpoint laser accuracy onto a flaw of the show. That was a hard pill to swallow. And two, it was so helpful to me. Um, because in that monologue, when he's swimming and he's writing in his dialogue, he says, I wish I had any semblance of control over how I feel. And up until that point, I didn't know Don Draper felt that way mm. because he's so clean and so put together. And when I heard that, I was like, that's really the only way you were ever going to learn that was a diary and uh, inner monologue. So Matt Weiner, you were right again. Although I I did cringe the first time. I, was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> it's weird. You'd think you'd want more, but from him, I didn't. Um, listen, Pete Holmes, now that you just said that you got sober, of course I need to ask you about that. So we're, you're just going to have to come back. <laughs> well, I will say if anybody's interested in drinking less or how I got sober, yeah. there's a book called This Naked Mind. It's written by Annie Grace, who I met in Denver, who's wonderful. I recommend the audio book. And... Um, I can summarize. I talk about sobriety enough that I can really summarize in one thing. Yeah, sure. The whole sure. point of the book is we've been told, or I feel I had been told, that getting fucked up, getting loaded, was like the ultimate act of liberty. 
Like it was like, I'm the king of my life. And the book really persuasively, among other things, one of the things it really did convincingly was actually your alcohol's bitch. Like it may, I'm sorry to use that word, That's but you fine. know what I mean? Like there's no good word for that. Uh, bitch is fine. Subservient. Yeah, we're, we're comedy people. We use bitch a little more colorfully than most people, but it made you a subservient to alcohol. You've actually been had. And I don't, I really don't like being had, mm -hmm. but I also just noticed I was becoming very unconscious with my drinking. I'm a very abundant person. Like it's meaning if I like something, I like a lot of it. There's a lot of good side to that. But the shadow of that is that like sugar is hard for me. Alcohol is hard for me. Weed can be hard for me. It's better to like stay clean mm -hmm. for myself. Um, had, yeah. had it gotten dark? Not really. It, in fact, I'm glad you asked because I don't think you need a sexy or a dramatic rock bottom to realize that something has taken you over like a parasite. Alcohol is one of the most addictive substances on the planet. Nobody ever told me that. You either thought you were a regular person or you were an alcoholic, like you had a special gene. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is, no matter how much you're drinking now, you were probably drinking more than you were. And that's because you build up a tolerance, and but you're also addicted to it. So you're going to keep drinking it. So it's little facts like that that just sort of helped me wake up. The My rock bottom story was that I came home. Our friend Sam was staying with us. And I think it was the presence of someone who didn't live with us in the house. Really, I just picked up, I liked sake. Sake? And I just picked up sake and just started pouring some sake. Like I didn't even have the thought I could use a drink. I was just doing uh -huh. it. And don't get me started on like wine women culture. <laughs> don't 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 you yes. see that like these corporations don't give a fuck about you? Like it's wine o'clock. Mm -hmm. Mommy needs her medicine. The best part of cooking is wine. They, these things are made by wine companies. Right. Don't you like to make it cute. why is it so easy to recognize that McDonald's put sugar in the French fries and go like, well, that's fucked up. Well, yeah, alcohol is itself the, the sugar. It's the addictive thing. And then they're not putting sugar on it. They're putting masculinity on it. They're putting liberty on it. They're putting freedom on it. They're putting de-stress. Mm -hmm. You know what doesn't make me de-stress? Having heartburn and being woken up an hour and a half <laughs> right. into my sleep cycle because I have to pee because that's what you do. So you never get REM sleep. Mm -hmm. Like it's like a fucking weird thing. It's like a cultural thing. By the way, Val sometimes drinks. My friends drink. I'm not like going around telling other people not to drink. I just realized at a certain point I was like, fuck this. I, it goes back to spirituality. Like it goes back to being your own supplier. Mm -hmm. You want to get high, do Wim Hof breathing. Go on YouTube, type in Wim Hof breathing three rounds. Do that. You will get high on your own supply, quite literally. Get high on oxygen. I did it this morning. I did 10 rounds. One of my favorite feelings. You want to get high exercise. You want to get high connect. You want to get high, uh, play some fucking video games, but you don't, even that might be, I don't know. But like, don't just do the thing that everybody's doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, oh, you're an American male. Drink whiskey. Fuck off. Have the courage to at least follow your own dream. If your dream is whiskey, and I know people that really love the culture and they and they can handle it, it seems, go for it. But it wasn't my calling. I was sold a bill of goods. Yeah. That's my sobriety speech. And if you're drinking, please don't feel judged. But for me, life has been better. It's been four years, so I'm still kind of new at it, but... Life is a lot better. And I also don't want to be a purple-lipped, spit-flecking dad. <laughs> Kids see that shit. 
Yeah. A mile away. You you dumb fucks. You think your kids don't notice your dumb Merlot purple lips? And you're going, you know what you should do is if you learn how to play the piano, you'll always have a job because you can play in a restaurant. <laughs> Fuck off, you goddamn demon. Get the fuck fuck out of my face yeah you're so scary you're so red-faced you're so sweaty i'm talking two three glasses you don't have to be fucked up for a kid to go what's up with dad yeah and, and that was a real moment i was like this ends with me i'm my daughter will know i'm there and if i'm grumpy or weird at least i'll be clear enough to deal with it i think that's great you know what else i think is great you know what else I think is great. Was that sentence properly constructed? I'm yeah. not. Uh, you know what else I think is great? I don't great. know why it sounded weird to me. You know what else is great? It's when you leave a nice comment about the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, make sure you're subscribed. That does help. It helps we so sh- much. We, I was just going to say we were shitting on social media. That's not social media. That's a mitzvah. That's a nice thing. Yeah. It, it, it helps the algorithm. It helps more people hear this nice show. Thank you. Uh, yeah, make sure you're subscribed uh, or following or whatever they call it in your app of choice so you get the podcast automatically. Tell your friends. Um, I still am on social media currently, so follow me on social media, at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I mentioned Patreon already. Oh, and, and this whole episode is on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. Go there, subscribe as well. Pete, uh where can we find you? What should we be looking for? Uh, yeah, it always means a lot when people watch Crashing. It's on HBO Max, um, right next to Curb, which I'm honored. We picked the right letter <laughs> for the title of our show, so people going to Curb can accidentally discover our show. Um, I, and, you know, just because I'm proud of it, the Batman videos, all that stuff is on my YouTube channel, uh, as is all of the talk show pretty much for free um ad free as well it's all there and even though i'm as we talked a lot about it you can follow me on uh socials it's all just pete holmes because my assistant will be posting when we drop a new podcast that sort of stuff just announcements if you want just announcements it's not going to be me monologuing shirtless in my kitchen (laughs) or you know like normal social media but if you want updates on what i'm up to uh, I'm, it's, it's not beneath me. Please follow me on social. Okay, well. good. Because when you said you're not on social, I'm like, oh, great. So does that mean you're not going to retweet about this episode? So it's good to know your assistant, Karen. No, she can retweet it. Absolutely. <laughs> what it, I don't think it's harmful as a, as a thing. I think, I mean, Allison, it's a big topic. I know. It's a, and, and in what level is it my privilege that I'm like, well, I'm at a place where I can, but you know what, when you're at a place where you can, you should. And if if my uh, daughter was trying to be a painter and she needs to be on Instagram for that, I can't go like, well, you should be off it. Like, that's one of the most annoying fucking things in the world is when someone quits smoking, that week they're telling smokers how they should quit smoking. Mm-hmm. When you just quit smoking. Yeah. Like, remember that you were a smoker a week ago and I was a social media person a month ago. So I'm not acting like, and maybe I will go back on it. I, I don't, I hope I don't. But like, there's some privilege there that I can. Um, there's also just a level of bullshit that I, here I am saying, follow me because maybe I, I'd like you to know when I put something out. So I don't know. I don't have it figured out. Do what's right for you. What's working for me. My anxiety is so much lower now that I don't have people messaging and being like, stop having your wife on your podcast, like projecting their hate on me. But did you not feel, was it at the very beginning like, cause for me, it's a compulsion. So it would be hard to stop. 
Well, that's, I mean, Allison, you don't need me to say this. It sounds like you're addicted, a compulsive behavior. Yes. But for you, was it not that? Like, did you not want to my go? My screen time was, my. I was on my phone about an hour and a half a day. That that was my number. Oh my what's, what's yours? What's mine? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's mine? Yours? According to my screen report, seven and a half hours. A day? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was judgmental. But <laughs> Oh, no, that's fine. Um, with, let's be gentle to Allison. We love Allison and we don't want to scare her or hurt her. Okay. Right. So it's in a, it's in a loving way, but it goes back to the drinking thing. You're giving yes. your life to something that doesn't care about you. It doesn't love you. It doesn't care if you're angry or delighted. It just wants your, use the word they use. It just wants your engagement. Mm-hmm. So it can build a profile to send you better ads. And, and worse, to just kind of have a grotesque corporate understanding of you. And the more you're in that, it's like having your ego projected into a, into a product. And then you start believing that that's who you are. And that's all of us. I'm not saying that's unique, but, and I'm not just saying quit, you know, for me, like quitting psychedelics, we didn't even talk about had a huge part of that reintroducing me to my real self. I'm not saying people should just go out and indiscriminately do psychedelics. That just happens to be part of my religion, Mm -hmm. let's say. So just like you wouldn't go out and become kosher, you shouldn't necessarily go out and do psychedelics. But for me, I needed like, mystical religious experience i needed to be pushed off a cliff metaphorically speaking i didn't just will myself to quit so we could be surgeons and try and remove your phone addiction or whatever you want to call (laughs) it yeah no it is that that's too judgmental but help lower your phone usage that's a surgery i think we could treat the symptom and 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 do certain practices like byron katie's the work like meditation, like whatever spiritual practice calls to you and therapy and all these different things, because that's dealing with the symptom. Mm -hmm. Because who are we when we're not, what does it feel like to not look at your phone? That's really- (laughs) I wouldn't know. Yeah, you wouldn't know. (laughs) But I mean, and that's why we have to be gentle with Allison. She, She might be feeling anxious. She might be feeling afraid. But this is David Foster Wallace. When we have our needs met by things that don't love us, Mm -hmm. something's wrong. Yeah. We're jerking off to porn, nothing wrong with it, but I'm just like, it doesn't love you. You're not in the dance. You're not eating at the banquet. And the and to get spiritual again, you're sitting at a banquet table and you're not eating it. And but that's not your fault. You, you you've sort of been duped, you know. Mm-hmm. Nobody's modeled a better a better way. Nobody's shown you how to eat, so you can't smell the food and stuff. So we're on our phones or whatever we're doing. And I still have sh- shit that's blocking me from reality absolutely but i I wouldn't just say okay tomorrow allison i'll be off my phone i would start trying to fill your life this is really pete splaney but like (laughs) the things for me like listening to someone read the Tao Te ching is very meaningful to me one verse of the Tao Te ching every morning or or if it's um byron katie's byron katie has a book called a thousand names for joy where she walks you through the Tao Te ching which is very meaningful to me or listening to different teachers on YouTube. Like 
there's actually ways to get your phone involved in the things that'll help you get your phone on. Like when I'm on my phone now, I'm, I'll read books or I'll gratitude journal. That's a great practice in the morning instead of checking your phone to write out 10, 15 things you're grateful for. And that's not just woo woo. That's dopamine. That's mm-hmm. endorphins. That's adrenaline. It's, it's, it's wonderful to realize that you do have your hands on the controls and starting your morning. It's not just for alcoholics or recovering alcoholics. Writing out, I'm grateful for my bed. I'm grateful for my podcast. I'm grateful for Tony. I'm grateful for conversations. I'm grateful for this nice candle that I have burning. I'm grateful for this fan. I'm grateful for Val. I'm grateful for Leela. This, when you do that, instead of going and seeing the big celebrity on someone else's podcast, you literally took a moment in the morning to rewire your brain to be on the lookout for more things to be grateful for. Like you can't stop it. In the same way that Instagram makes you go be comparative, gratitude hardwires you. So you're using the the shortcomings of your brain, meaning whatever snowball you start rolling down that hill is going to keep rolling all mm-hmm. day. So if you start feed cinnamon toast crunch in the morning, you'll crave sugar in the afternoon. But if you start with gratitude, you'll have gratitude in the afternoon. And Wim Hof breathing, I'm sorry, I, I, I sound like such a weirdo. It's free. It's YouTube. It's basically just us. 30 times and then you hold your breath for uh, a minute and a half, two minutes. You have to practice before you do that. Try. Allison. I'm going to try it. Try, I think Greg try has to be, about it. Try to be anxious after four rounds, five rounds. You got to do it for a while. Do it for six rounds and then try to be anxious. Like I dare you to try to be anxious because <laughs> your body is involved. We're, we're letting the body solve what the mind can't. Yeah. Your mind is up there trying to carry everything going like, what do we do? And are, are you and I going to, are we going to lose our jobs? Are we going to lose our livelihood? Are we going to lose our lives? Are we going to lose our loved ones? The brain can't do it. So when we do things like breathing, like meditating, I didn't even want to recommend meditating because it's so daunting and it means so many different things. But Wim Hof breathing guided three rounds, YouTube free. Do, do the whole video twice, six rounds. Um, you'll be high and your body will get to carry some of the burden that your brain can't handle. That is a huge, huge game changer for me. And I think has a lot to do with the things we're talking about, getting off social media and stuff. You just, it's all, do it out of love. Do it because you love Allison, not because you want to be off mm-hmm. your phone. Do it because you are a beloved daughter of the divine, of, of wizards and of fairy tales, and you deserve it and you are forgiven and you are beautiful you've always been right here so let's 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 show it let's act like it oh i always love talking to you pete <laughs> thank you. you you did you tried to get all the pete so i think you did you got the, <laughs> the you got comedy talk we got spiritual talk uh psychological talk i really enjoyed it too tony what about you where do we find you uh, well, great time to say I'm on Twitter and Instagram at <laughs> Tony Thaxton. <laughs> and uh, my podcast, Bizarre Albums, every Tuesday. And uh, also, just a reminder, the Motion City Soundtrack 2021 tickets are on sale now. So get those. Nice. That's it. There you go. Pete, thank you so much. This was so great. Listeners, thank you for listening. You matter. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know and Rose and Show. We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Alice and Rose is your new best friend.